We are continuing on in this, this series that we're in called Taste and See. And it's experiencing God's power and his presence in our lives. If you have a Bible this morning, um, if you want to open up to Acts chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible, which most of you don't, that's okay. Then you can follow along on the screen behind me. Acts chapter 10. So let me give you a little bit of history though before we jump into this passage. In the book of Acts, it's in the New Testament, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. And it's called Acts because it's the actions of the early church leaders, the apostles. It's how the church started, right? It's the, the early part of church history. And this morning's passage is a narrative. It's a story, and it's going to tell us about one of those moments that was pivotal, pivotal in uh, the early church. Um, and it's going to center around a couple different people in a couple, couple different cities. So one of the cities that our story is going to center around is a city called Caesarea. Now, if you kind of know church history, if you know, think about Israel. Caesarea was a port city in the northern part of Israel. It was right on the Mediterranean Sea. And it was called Caesarea because the Romans kind of were governing and leading, right? They were over all of Israel during this time, during biblical times. And they wanted to name this, this port city after a Caesar. So they called it Caesarea, after one of the Caesars. And it was a pretty large city. Um, it was, there was there, the scholars think that there were at least 40,000 people that lived in this, this port city called Caesarea. Um, and what was unique about this city is that the Romans, it was kind of like, they had, they had it was like, uh, like their cosmopolitan area in Israel. And like they would have a temple there. They actually had a temple to, to Caesar that was there. And that was, Jewish people just hated the idea. They hated their land being occupied. They hated the idea of uh, Romans living there, non-Jewish people living there. I mean, kind of like, think modern day, right? It would be like, you know, whatever, I don't, you know, I don't know where you're at and all this stuff, but it'd be like Russia invading Ukraine. It was like that. They, they, these guys were invaders. We, they hated them being there. They worshipped other gods. They didn't worship Yahweh God. They were foreigners. They had no business being there. They had this temple there to, to Caesar. Um, Caesarea was, most scholars think, it was half Jewish and half Gentile, a non-Jewish, non-Jewish people that lived in this city. Um, Jewish people called it like, it was like the armpit of Israel. Like it was, that's how they kind of, re they referred to Caesarea as the daughter of Edom. Like it was this, you know, terrible slang that they referred to this, this city called Caesarea, right? Um, There's a guy named Josephus who is a Jewish historian. And Josephus tells us the story happens probably about the year 49 A.D., so it's about 10 years after Jesus had died and rose again and gone on. So the church had been going on for about 10 years, right? So think, Acts chapter 10, 10 years after Jesus, the church has been going on. And at this point in time, it's only Jewish people who were following Jesus Christ. If you're Jewish, you'd been exposed to Jesus, you'd heard about the Messiah, but no one outside of the Jewish faith was following Jesus Christ at this point in time. This guy named Josephus was a historian, and he was a Jewish historian. And he tells us that probably in about the year 65 A.D., so about 10 or 15 years after our passage, 20,000 Jews were slaughtered by the Romans. Just, they slaughtered them. It doesn't tell us there was a revolt. We're not really too sure why. But you can see there was just tons of animosity and lots of hatred. 
about this city called Caesarea. It was always occupied by Romans. It's not a place that you wanted to be a part of if you were Jewish. Okay? That was one of the things that you need to know about our story in our passage. Another, there's another city. It's called Joppa. J-O-P-P-A. Joppa. And Joppa is about 30 miles south of, um, of Caesarea. And it's important. Joppa is a port city also. Right? And there's a guy named Peter that was staying in this city called Joppa. And you guys know Peter, you know, a lot of the Bible is written about Peter. The New Testament was written about Peter. He was kind of like Jesus' right-hand man. He also denied Jesus at one point in time. You guys know the story. But at this point in time, he's helping. He's really the primary leader of the church, right? And in our story, we find that Peter, the leader of the church, is in this city called Joppa, right? It's a portside city also, and he's there, and he's hanging out. And Joppa, there's a kind of, it's an important city for, in the Old Testament, somebody really important spent time in Joppa. Now, if you were, if you were in kids' church ever, you might know this. Who knows, raise your hands, don't just yell it out. Who knows the important person that spent time in Joppa? Raise your hand if you, if you know Paul, Jonah, yes, Jonah, you guys know the story, Jonah and the whale, right? So Jonah was a guy in the Old Testament, right? And God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go speak to this people group called the Ninevites, in which would, would have been like a Syria, Iraq, Iran area. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go talk to these guys and, and tell them about me because and everybody hated the Ninevites, because they were evil and cruel and mean and, you know, I mean, crucifixion type stuff for everybody. And all kinds of just terrible things they would do to people when they went in and took over a land. So nobody liked the Ninevites. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go preach to them. And Jonah's like, no way, God. I would rather they burn than me go talk to these people. Because I know, God, if I go talk to them, what's going to happen? They're going to repent and they're going to turn back to you, God. And I would rather they not turn back to you. They don't deserve you, God. And so Jonah runs from God and he goes to the same city that Peter's in. It's a city called Joppa. And Jonah hops on a boat and he runs opposite way from where he's supposed to be going. It's kind of like the launching point. He gets on this boat and, of course, we all know he gets swallowed by a whale later on. Right? Well, Peter is in that same city. That Jonah was in. And God confronts Peter just like he confronted Jonah. And God says, Peter, I want you to go and I want you to preach and I want you to tell people about me. And Peter had to make a decision. God, am I going to be prejudiced against these people? Because really that was kind of the problem with Jonah. He was prejudiced. Jonah was prejudiced. It's like, I don't, those people don't deserve you, God. And Peter had to make the same decision. God, am I going to listen to you or am I going to be prejudiced? And some of us in this room this morning, we're at a crossroads in our, like, in our life like Jonah and Peter. And God has asked you or called you to share your faith, to share about Jesus with people in your life. And you're having to make a decision yeah, those people, they don't deserve you, God. You know, I find that most people, they don't really know themselves very well. 
most people don't recognize. Like, I, I bet just about every one of us in this room has an issue in our life that we are prejudiced against somebody else about. There's probably a lot of reasons. I mean, we could go through a whole host of reasons, right? Whether it be how much money a person does make or doesn't make, uh, where they live, uh, the size of their house, the size how much education they do or they don't have. I mean, we could go through a whole, whole list of things, why we are, we are prejudiced against somebody else. I mean, I struggle with that too, you know, right? I mean, I'm, not, I'm just like, you know, I love you guys and, you know, I'm following Jesus just like you. You know, I was having a conversation with one of my kids this weekend, and my adult kids, and we were talking about a guy that we both like to, well, we, that we both listen to on podcasts, not Joe Rogan, okay? So I get enough grief from you guys. So uh, it was a, diff- a Christian, and one of my kids is like, yeah, I listen to this person a lot, and I'm like, yeah, I don't like to listen to this person because they're super condescending. They're super arrogant, and I struggle with people who come across as really, really arrogant know-it-alls. And I tend to find myself being challenged, like being prejudiced against people like that who are super arrogant and know-it-alls. So I, I struggle with this kind of stuff too, just like you guys do. And so our passage this morning, Peter's confronted with being prejudiced. And this is not the only time in his life. God deals with Peter in our passage this morning and it's not like it's just over. It's like it's a one and done and then Peter gets to move on in his life. You know that God would deal with him years later about the exact same issue. And God would use another one of the New Testament writers, a guy named Paul who we've talked about, right? And God would use Paul in Galatians chapter 2. And Paul would say, Peter, you're such a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. You're being prejudiced against these people again, Peter. God already dealt with it one time. And years later, Paul would confront Peter about being a hypocrite because he was prejudiced. So there's this issue of being prejudiced in our passage this morning. And and there's a whole host of reasons. And Peter had to repent. And turn back to God and acknowledge that he was being prejudiced. I wonder who is in your life that God is calling you to reach out to. To share Christ with. But you're like, yeah, that person doesn't deserve Jesus. That person doesn't deserve Jesus. And now, I know nobody would ever say that verbally. Right? But our actions, our heart. That's what it seems like and it feels oftentimes like. So let's look at this passage. I kind of already taught it to you a little bit, told you about it. But it says in Caesarea, this is 10 years after Jesus, right? In Caesarea, the city I told you about, there lived a, a Roman army officer. Everybody hated the Romans. His name was Cornelius. And who was a captain of the Italian regiment. Like, he was, a, he was over 100, at least 100 soldiers. Like, the dude had, you know, he was a person of influence, right? He was a leader, it says he was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. Now that's super interesting. He wasn't Jewish. He wasn't a Christian. It says that he was God-fearing. Have you ever met someone who's not a Christian, but they're really, like, it seems like they're seeking after something, and, you know, they're very respectful towards, towards God? Well, it says that 
this guy Cornelius was God-fearing. He, most scholars would say he, he may have gone to the synagogue, but he didn't convert to Judaism. He probably obeyed or followed a lot of Jewish traditions and a lot of Jewish laws. But again, he didn't convert. Um, and at the very least, he was a sympathizer with Jewish people. And so he had favor with a lot of Jewish people because he was God-fearing. And it says everyone in his household was also God-fearing. Whether you were his wife or his kids or his servants, it says they were all God-fearing. You can see he had this influence around on people. It says about him, the next verse, that he gave generously to the poor and he prayed regularly to God. Like, he didn't just, like, he acknowledged God and he was seeking after him. It says he prayed regularly to God, not just when he got in trouble, but he prayed frequently. And he was generous to the poor. He's like, oh, I don't just love you, God, but I love people. I see people in need. I mean, it sounds like his heart was in the right place, that he was seeking after God. His heart was sensitive and open and he was following as much as what he knew about God at this point. One afternoon at about three o'clock, which was a normal Jewish time to pray. That's just not a random tidbit that the writers threw in there. They wanted you to know that Cornelius, again, he followed a lot of Jewish customs. And Jews would pray at three o'clock. That was kind of one of the scheduled times. So he was praying at his normal time. Said he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said, Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. In other words, Cornelius, God's aware of what's going on in your life. When you don't think that God's paying attention, Danny, God's watching and God's aware. Cornelius, God's listening and watching what's going on in your life. Now send some men to Joppa, Cornelius. You're 30 miles north. Send some men to this other port city called Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. Cornelius is like, I have no idea who Simon Peter is. I don't know. But the angel says he's living with another guy. He's staying with Simon who's a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius was like, okay, that's what he said to do. So he called two of his household servants and a devout soldier and one of his personal, a whole group of people. He sends them down to Joppa. He, said, he told them what the angel, had, what the angel said, sends them off to Joppa. Uh, verse 9 says, the next day, as Cornelius' messenger, you know, 30 miles, that's a long trip. You know, probably took a whole day, right? Next day, as his messengers were nearing the town, Peter, he went up to the flat roof to pray. It was about noon and he was hungry. And there was a meal that was being prepared and he fell into a trance. Like probably the, the smell of, you know, food was wafting upstairs and, you know, he went into a food coma. It says that the sky opened up and Peter's in this trance and he sees something like a large sheet that was let down by all four of its corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And then a voice said to him, Peter, get up and kill and eat them. Peter's like, no, Lord. 
I would never, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. There were Jewish laws in the Old Testament that said certain kinds of animals and certain kinds of birds and reptiles were unclean and not to eat them. And Peter's like, I'm not going to be, you know, I'm not going to eat something that's not kosher. And the voice speaks to him again. God says, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Now that had to have been really confusing to Peter because the Old Testament was really clear. Don't eat these things, Peter. It had to have been really confusing. So Peter has that vision three separate times and then suddenly the sheet was pulled up to heaven. Verse 17 tells us, says that Peter was very perplexed. God, I have no idea what you're trying to say here. I don't know what you're, what you're talking about. What could this vision mean? And just, just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house, standing outside the gate at the exact time. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, again, Peter's puzzling over this vision that he has. And the Holy Spirit says to him, Peter, there three men have come looking for you. Get up. And go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. All of a sudden, Peter is having to make a decision just like Jonah had to make. God, what am I going to do? Am I going to listen to you and go where you're leading me, even though it's uncomfortable and, you know, I don't necessarily even like these people. Like these are, these are soldiers, they're Gentiles. And God, why would I go with these horrible people? I was like, no, Peter, this is what I'm calling you to do. I know you're prejudiced against these guys. I know you've got something against them, but I want you to go with them. So Peter goes downstairs. He says, hey, I'm the man that you guys are looking, what, that you're looking for. I don't know why you're here. Why have you come? And then they tell them, the next couple of verses, they tell Peter about Cornelius, their boss. They tell Peter about the vision that he has. So Peter goes with these guys. They travel back 30 miles back up to Caesarea. And it says that they arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them. And he had called together his friends and relatives. Now remember, Cornelius is at a home. And Cornelius is just like, God, I don't know what's going on here. But whatever is going on, I, I want to share this with everybody around me. And so all these people gather. They don't gather in the synagogue. They don't gather in a church building like this because there wasn't one. They gather in a home. Remember that's when we talked about our, our name, naming our church community house church, right? So many things in the Bible, so many spiritual life-changing transformations happen where? They happen in people's homes. Like Peter, like Cornelius invites all these people to his home. Like that's where the action happens. That's where it took place, in a home. So he invites all of his relatives, all of his close friends to go to, to be at his house. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter pulls him up and says, oh, oh, easy. I'm just a person just like you. And so they talked together and they went inside where many others were assembled. Again, you see this evangelistic heart, right? Cornelius says all of his household were God-fearers. He knows that Peter's coming. He doesn't know exactly what Peter's going to say, 
But God told him to go do this, and so he does this, and he calls all of his family and friends around, like, you guys got, what? I don't know what's going to happen, but we all need to be here in, our, in my home. Verse 28 says, Peter told them, you know it's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this, or even to associate with you. But God has shown me, now remember, he has this vision, and he sees all these animals, and at first he's like, oh, is this about food? Because I'm really hungry. Is this about food and what food I can and can't eat? And he's praying about it, thinking about it. And he goes up to Caesarea, and he realizes the vision he, he has is about people. He says, God has shown me in this vision that I had, God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for you. Now tell me why you have sent for me. Again, you see this. Peter's like, God has dealt with me. I'm being prejudiced in my heart. I thought bad things about you guys, and I don't want anything to do with you or even associate with you. Tell me now, why have you sent me? Um, next verse. Cornelius says, four days ago I was praying in the house about this time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly I have this vision, right? An angel comes and he, the angel says, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard. Your gifts to the poor have been noticed. Go ahead, next verse. Now send for messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Peter. And he goes through the whole list, right? Cornelius goes through the whole list. And he says, verse 33, he says, Now, Peter, we are here and we are waiting before God to hear the message the Lord has given you. Like Peter, we believe that God is going to speak through you to us to hear this message. And all of us, my family, my friends, we're all here in the house. We're waiting for God to speak through you to us. Peter replies. He says, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. And he says, this message is good news for the people of Israel. He says that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. And Peter starts preaching the sermon. He's like, he's like, guys, God has sent me to let you know that you can have peace with God. Not through Buddha, not through Muhammad, not through trying to be a good person, but you can have peace with God through Jesus Christ. This is this message. And Peter preaches this little mini sermon to these, to these people that are listening. He finishes in verse 48, uh, yeah, verse 43, he says, at the end of a sermon, that Jesus is the one all the prophets testify or teach about, saying that everyone who believes in Jesus will have their sins forgiven through his name. All of a sudden, Peter's finishing up. It says, as Peter was saying all these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all these. Remember, this whole house is filled with people. It says the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter, they were shocked and they were amazed that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on these Gentiles. Like they thought only Jewish people could become Christ followers. They're like, what? This is crazy. It says all of a sudden they heard them speaking in other tongues and they heard them praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone object to these people being baptized? 
Can anyone object to these people being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Afterwards, Cornelius asked him to stay with him for several days, and Peter did so. So you see this whole household of people following Jesus Christ now. And Peter has to deal. There's two things and, you know, that a lot of us in this room struggle with. A lot of us in this room struggle with being prejudiced, holding things against other people. Like you don't deserve Jesus Christ. Like we think poorly about other people because of, you guys, we can go down through a whole list of things. And we think poorly of other people. Like, I'm not going to share Jesus with you. Some of us, Peter's like, show favoritism to other people, which is also a sin. Like, oh, I'm going to show favoritism to you out of selfish because I know I can get something out of you. And so I'm going to show favoritism to you. James, who's another one of our, our church leaders, says this in James chapter 2. He says, my brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? Verse 4. Doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Verse 9. If you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. What? Wow. Our passage this morning talks about these two issues. And I told you guys earlier, like, God deals with Peter in Acts chapter 10 about being prejudiced. It would be years later, Paul would have to come back to Peter in a book called Galatians chapter 2. And he would say the same thing to Peter. Peter, you're such a hypocrite. You say you love God, but you're prejudiced. Like, come on, Peter. Why are you being so prejudiced? You shouldn't be treating people like that. And I wonder this morning about, you know, who it is in your life that you're struggling with. And what is the issue that you're holding against other people, why you're prejudiced towards somebody else. Or maybe it's that sin of favoritism. Showing favoritism to other people. And there's this selfish motivation you didn't even realize about your own life. About wanting to get something from somebody else. And it may even just be something as simple as you're trying to get their attention. And so you're showing them favoritism. Right? What is it that God's dealing with you about this morning? That's creating division within your own life and within the body of Christ. What is it? I was thinking about this passage this morning too and not just this sin of struggling with favoritism or being prejudiced. But I thought about this guy named Cornelius and how he was such a godly influence. And it was great seeing the parents up here this morning and seeing them dedicate their kids back to the Lord, right? And about how this whole household of people came to follow Jesus Christ, got baptized and chose to follow Jesus. And I thought about our own church. I think there's the next slide there. I know these aren't the best pictures, but this picture on my left, that's the Hashemi family over there on my left. And the Hashemi family, Paige, who's the patriarch, Paige, 
is from um, Iran, and he's Persian, the area of, uh, of Assyria, right? And that's the Hashemi family. And about three years ago, Madalena, I know it's not the best, she's got a striped shirt on. Madalena, when she was just in high school, got invited by some random person to our church and started coming to youth group. And next thing you know, not only is Madalena coming, but her brothers are coming and her parents are coming. Next thing you know, her grandmother's coming. Next thing you know, she has a boyfriend and her boyfriend's coming. We see like three generations and extended people outside their family. Almost like Cornelius' house people choosing to follow Jesus Christ. The family on the right, that's the McNamee family. And Steve, he's the bald guy in the middle there. <clears throat> and Steve is a guy I run with. And I've known Steve for years, years, you know, and it's just kind of raw and, you know, honest with one another when we're running and, you know, and just about, Four months ago, Steve started coming with his wife, Kelly. Weren't going to church anywhere. And by the way, I got permission to share all this. So Steve and Kelly start coming. Next thing you know, Steve and Kelly and their kids start coming. That's Cam to your left. And that's his wife, Tia. And Tia's due in like three or four weeks. And they start coming. And then the next thing you know, Kelly's dad, his name is, it's not his real name, is Moose, but that's his, his name is Moose, there with the eye patch, and Moose starts coming to North Point. And we see four generations, four generations coming, wanting to follow Jesus Christ. And their lives being changed like Cornelius and his whole household. It's like, oh God. You know, I want to see that in my life and in my family and you know, wouldn't it be incredible to see our church filled with four generations of people following Jesus Christ? And I know, right? You know, I know that some of us in this room this morning have been praying for that for years. And, you know, and, and, and we're going to keep on praying for that. Like, you haven't seen that happen yet. But I believe that God wants to break that. that he wants to bring generational blessing and see generations of families follow Jesus Christ like Cornelius' house and like families like this, and that we're going to keep on praying as a church community. We're going to say, God, help me not to be prejudiced, maybe even prejudiced or show favoritism even within my own family. It's like, oh, you know, right? Sometimes it's, it's, I can be prejudiced against my own family because, you know, I feel like they're whatever. Like, God, break that sin in my own life and allow me to be your presence and allow my family to be like Cornelius' family and see generations of families following Jesus Christ. What is it in your life this morning where you've been kind of holding on to that's been hindering your walk with Jesus and hindering your ability to be used by him to reach out to other people around you? What's that issue that God's speaking to your heart about this morning? So Gabe's going to come. Let me ask you guys, because this is a little bit personal. And I'd rather, you, so just if you can, I'm going to pray for you. You can bow your heads. And again, because this is personal and no one else needs to see this or know this. Uh, I want to ask a couple of those questions this morning. Um, maybe you're here and you'd be like, Pastor Brad, yep, I'm prejudiced. Um, whatever I've got, there are, there are people in my life that I just cannot stand, I struggle with, I have a hard time with. I find myself ignoring them, avoiding them. I find myself looking down upon them. 
and I've been struggling with the sin of being prejudiced. Or maybe you're here or you're watching online and you'd be like, I have been struggling with that sin of showing favoritism to people, going out of my way to shower somebody in my life with favoritism. And if I look at my own heart, Jesus, if you help me see my own heart, I, I see that I have selfish motives. I have selfish motives for showing favoritism because I'm trying to get something. Maybe I'm trying to get their attention. Maybe I'm trying to get fill in the blank. I don't know. And I've been showing favoritism and I didn't realize that it was such a big issue in my own life. So if that's you and you've got one of those sin issues in your life and the Lord's been pricking your heart this morning as I've been speaking, if you could just raise your hand. No one's looking around. I've asked everybody kind of take Keep your hands raised all across the room. Lots of people online even. Keep your hands raised. Okay. Okay, you can put those hands down. Father, you see my friends that are here this morning. Myself included, that struggles with sin in our lives. And we acknowledge that. We repent of that this morning. Help us to turn away from that sin of favoritism or that sin, um, Jesus, of being prejudiced and help us to turn towards you and to get our hearts and our eyes on you, our hearts right and our eyes upon you this morning, Jesus. We repent of that. We confess that that's a wrong, sinful attitude of our hearts. Jesus, thank you that you've forgiven us already. Help us to act, Jesus, toward those around us that you've placed in our life, how you want us to act toward them, loving, kind, and generous, Jesus. I want to ask if you're here this morning and you'd say, yeah, I, I have people in my family that my heart breaks for that are not followers of Jesus. And I want to see generations of my family come to know and follow Jesus. If you, don't have, if you have people in your life this morning that you've been praying for and you want to continue to pray for them this morning, if you just, again, raise your hand this morning and say, Pastor Brad, I, I have people. Keep them raised all across the room. Lots of people. Keep them raised all across the room. Keep them raised. Let me pray for you. Keep them raised. Jesus, you see my friends whose hands are raised this morning, and they identify and say, God, I have family members, whether it be kids or brothers, sisters, whatever, parents, aunts and uncles. Jesus, we all have family members that are not following you, and we want to see generational blessing in our family's lives. So we lift up our hands and say, Jesus, would you intervene? Would you encourage us this morning? And would you intervene in the hearts and lives of our family members that we would see generations of our families want to desire and change and make the choice and the decision to follow you? We're asking for it, Jesus, for you to intervene and work and move. We're asking and believing for it this morning, Father. Jesus, we trust you. We're asking for it. Use us, we pray, in your name. Everyone said, amen.